and welcome to our podcast. We are The Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello! The premise of our show is very simple. For each week, we have carefully picked two films which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find what their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on my particular area of expertise, Golden Age of Hollywood, and the other is chosen by my co-host, which is from their specialty. So that would be anything from uh, 1970s New Hollywood through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other person. So today's theme is vengeance? Revenge. Yeah, revenge. Uh, revenge. Yeah. Yeah, you. I, I'm. I'm. I'm coming back for you. There is. There is an old Klingon. There's a Klingon proverb at uh, the start of Kill Bill Volume One that is "Revenge is a dish best served cold," um, which I think is a good introduction. It's an old Klingon proverb. So if you're going to take anything from Star Trek, it'll be that. <laughs> uh, so we will start with. Um... A 1930 pre-code film starring John Crawford, directed by Sam Wood, um, called Pay. Um, and I don't have a synopsis. I got one. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> um, Mary Turner, played by Joan Crawford, gets a three years prison sentence for a crime she didn't commit. Once released, she plots to get back at the man responsible for her conviction. Okay, so um, having said that, what did you think of the film now? Uh, ooh, it's our second second pre-code? It is yes, our second pre-code. Yes, yes, Red List was our first. We need to keep track of the number of pre-code films that we've, we've done so I can keep tally. Um, yeah, uh, paid. So, where are we? It starts off strongly, okay? You have the court scene at the beginning with the introduction of Joan Crawford's Mary. Um, like... That sequence, you felt there was an injustice, you know, her reaction to being thrown away for three, three. to five years. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you you, you, do, you did certainly feel there was an injustice and her delivery of her lines, you know, were very, were quite, were very powerful, I thought. Um, and then the prison sequence following, um, I thought could have been more fleshed out i think there wasn't enough of that and then it uh then it goes on to the meeting with joe um and then it, that adds you know adds the spark to the film um and it, it kind of that opening bit it just all moves along at a really alarming rate um and it's 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 quite amazing how quickly that goes it it, it you know, you have the court scene, then the prison, then three years are done, and then she's met Joe, and then yeah, it you feels have a bit her... rushed, doesn't it? It does. It does feel a bit rushed. Um, and and then like, yeah, I mean, it like I said, it that's it starts off strongly, and it, it kind of I think oh, it's got this really good pace to it, and I thought it was going to keep going with that pace, and it doesn't. <laughs> um, it yeah. it loses. It really does lose sight of its main narrative thread quite quickly. Um, so at the start, Mary, um, you know, she states her revenge. And then we get a meet up with the son. And it kind of looks set for this kind of conflict of interest. Um, 
you know, and you know, she marries him. It pisses off her, her, the father and the police, and she's in like total control. And yet, you know, we could feel that there's an inner conflict brewing inside of her. So it's all kind of got this really good setup to it. But then the film just kind of just goes a bit bleh, yeah, and it definitely. just diverges. And then it it decides to to start a subplot, which kind of becomes the main plot, with the original plot becoming the B plot. And the subplot revolves around a painting. Not any painting, not just any painting, it was the Mona Lisa. Probably the most famous painting ever. And that sequence where in the living room it's like, you've heard of the Mona Lisa? And I'm like, no. I'm just, yeah, really? Uh, I know it was the 1930s, but really? Um, Yeah. So, yeah, the thing with the, the stealing of the Mona Lisa, and then there's a shooting... I think. Yes, and then, there and is. Then the, there is a it's kind of hard to follow after that, isn't it? Because you're it like, does, what's yeah. going on? You don't really, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, yeah, all the plot like, diverges in all five, five different ways and threads, and you're like, what am I watching? There's like a really quite an interesting, like, robbery sequence with the, involving the electric man, and then, like, yeah. and then it kind of turns into a police chase on a rooftop. And then a guy gets shot and then falls off the roof and you see him or you see, you know, the, the, the effect of the dummy fall onto the ground. I thought, that's a bit graphic for 1930. Well, um, that's the, yeah, that's why it's a pre-code. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and then, and then you have all that stuff. And then what you have then what feels like an eternity in the police station. And yes. the whole police station thing, it could easily be trimmed. It could easily be moved to other locations. And I think it could be better written, quite honestly. Um, the whole sequence just kind of revolves around, focuses on the fallout of the robbery and the shooting and who shot what's-his-face. And it's like, oh, what? but she's meant to be getting revenge. And, like, where's that, you know? Yeah. I want to see what Joan Crawford's trying to do about still getting revenge. I don't give a shit about the shooting and the painting. Um, even though that the police have kind of set this up because they want to, you know, stop the husband from being with her. And it's all a bit... Meh. And it, it just all just kind <laughs> of, like, repeats the same notes over and over again. It just keeps repeating the same of it. And it over and over again just keeps bludging you over the head with the, the shooting and all this. And and it just all feels a bit flat and and it and yeah so like i said it starts off strongly and then it just goes Bleh, and deflates um <laughs> and it's like a revenge film where there's a really promising premise um and i think it's kind of a good comparison to to what this film is talking about you know a revenge film um and setting up a really good premise and then kind of doing nothing with it compared to the another film we're going to be talking about which we'll come on to in a bit so, yeah, I think yeah. it's a good comparison piece, um, com- companion piece. So, and I understand why you chose this when I gave you the theme Revenge. Um, and, you know, it gave you an opportunity to talk about Joan Crawford. Um, speaking of which, her yes. performance was by far the strongest out of the cast, obviously. And sure. from what i can gather this is one of her first starring roles in a serious picture um and i can you know i can definitely see the joan crawford that i ended up seeing in in mildred pierce 
Um, the way her eyes are really wide open as well, like they're they're quite like anime eyes almost, and you know she doesn't blink, and then her head kind of staggers, you know, jags left and right, you know, and you know she she kind of plays for the camera, you know, knowingly wanting the audience to pay attention to her sut every subtle movement. Um, you know the the thing where she's been grilled you know questioned her and her husband are being questioned in the in the living room of the fireplace and she's kind of latched onto his arm and the camera is on a close-up of her face and the you hear the police officer but it doesn't cut to him so she says something and then you hear the police officer's response but the camera doesn't cut away for the reverse shot stays on june crawford and she has this like weird like like movement of her face and her eyes just wide open and it's it's really quite something and then she responds and it's all in one take and it's it's really you can see that she's very very aware of what she's doing like she's very very aware that she wants to be the greatest actress of all time um <laughs> i i enjoyed the first, like i said i enjoyed the first half um and then it kind of just fell apart it didn't go as dark or as bleak or as i thought it could say like in the lonely place for example which we talked about a few weeks ago um and then i think i kind of just want to finish off with the quote that i kind of really liked and it was her delivery uh, uh jane crawford's delivery of um which i'm probably going to butcher four years ago you took my name and replaced it with a number now i've taken that number and replaced it with your name and i thought that was excellent i was like yeah yeah and then and then obviously we don't get the payoff from it but anyway so that's 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 me on paid i, I yeah yeah, I, I see um, why you picked it, and you know, I just kind of wish it was, uh, which it was a lot, a lot more daring. Um, yeah, all very good points you're making. Um, it's it's not my favorite Crawford film. Um, it's definitely not my favorite pre-code film, but it was my first sort of revenge film that I I could think of um, to pair with our next film that we will be discussing. Um. I loved the entrance of of Miss Crawford in in the in the courtroom where you see her from behind, and you see and then you see her sort of looking down and then you, you see her looking up finally and then you see her face. Um, yeah, so I, you know you know there's someone important that's being yeah, bring, um, brought into the courtroom. It's it's very it's very knowing. It's that, yeah right? important to the film and I think it all, I think you're right in, when you talk about the the, the scenes. Um, in, in, in the police station where you don't see her and there's a lot of grilling and there's a lot of like uh, idiot policemen writing reports and, and whatnot that are really not, not relevant at all. Um, and you, you see that film's missing something because she's not there. Um, I, I like John Crawford. Um, I think... I never thought, okay, this is going to sound bad, but Ooh, it, controversial. hear me out. I never thought she was the greatest actress or such a greatest actress, um, but she's always been a good one and she's always been really, really hardworking. What she was always and forever was a great movie star. I think she epitomized the golden age of Hollywood better than anyone. Um, she played by the rules of the studio system. She conformed to the rules until the day she died. Which is kind of why she was 
bit ridiculed later. She didn't know how to sort of adapt to something less stuffy. Um, this isn't to say that she didn't reinvent herself throughout her career because she did, and we'll talk a bit more about that when we discuss. I think we have uh, her again with Johnny Guitar later on. Um, uh, but I wanted to say that John Crawford struggled and, and fought a lot to remain relevant her entire career and succeeded more often than history than history would like her, would like to give her credit for um i think she's she's been very hard at working actress and i'm i'm kind of glad that you picked up on on her camera work her working with a camera uh, i think this film is not a great film by any stretch of imagination but what it successfully does is work with her with with what John Crawford has to to show um it's not inventive uh filmmaking uh it's just gorgeous John Crawford and everyone should just all go at her um don't know if you agree but yeah I think that's that's kind of what the film is all about Yeah, um, I know. I, def- I definitely agree. I think that. the plot. I think the plot is is all over the place, like we've discussed. Um, it's it's. I think it's a glorified B movie at best. Um, but it's, it, it feels what it feels like is is like, M because it's an MGM film, and yeah. what it kind of feels like is it it feels like a knockoff version of the Warner Brothers noirs films that we kind of Ooh. you know expect from that era. So I it just feels like so it just feels <laughs> no, 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 what, no what I mean is what I mean is MGM have gone oh we want to try the Warner Brothers formula and they tried it and it's not quite worked I I'm sorry I've gone with a controversial thing but no, yeah, that's, um, I, that's kind of how yeah. I'm not I, I don't think I think this film was made in 1930 uh, I think it was well if not at the same time perhaps before all the gangster yeah racketeer films from from warner brothers i think it was, at the, it, was it was at the start of it anyway it was at the beginning of of both big studios trying to make sexy pictures or, or, or controversial um pictures with outlaws and people trying to like racketeers yeah um, maybe they're not a knockoff version of the warner brothers thing maybe just like like, like an early attempt um, um, it's not quite worked because just... they haven't figured out the the formula yet that that works. Yeah, um, it's it's controversial to say that an MGM film is is a knockoff version of of a Warner Brothers film because Warner Brothers was a poor studio and MGM was the very rich studio. Uh, so it's funny that you said that. Because, I don't. Yeah. I don't mean it. I don't mean it like that way. I don't mean it like oh, it's a knockoff. No, that's why you said it. It's cheap. It's I just mean like <laughs> it's it, it's a it's a it's a like a, a compa- it's like a comparative film that isn't done as strongly. No, I think that's you know. So like you know, you said Warner Brothers is the poor studio, but they made that work for them in the fact that that's they why did. that was so minimalist and how they pioneered the whole Shia Skiro lightning stuff you know that they made that so popular you know they, they didn't come up with it but they made it so popular I think like the MGM thing like you know they had all this money and yet they still filmed, you have to you have felt to think... like an hour and a half inside of a fucking police station at the end of the film so yeah yeah, I, yeah. you have to think you have to bear in mind the fact that John Crawford was not um 
the biggest star at MGM by no by no means. She, you had Norma Shearer, you had Greta Garbo, you had others much higher than her. So her films were not big budgets. I think before 1932, when she starred in Grand Hotel, um, there was very little money for like put behind her her star vehicles she was she was making money and she was get she was popular but she was nowhere near as bankable or as popular and um i think i will i'll i will just mention this now but i'll talk a bit more about it in um when we talk about johnny guitar but mgm didn't i don't think mgm ever invested that much money in her to begin with um, it was when she went to Warner Brothers and made Mildred Pierce that she became, she won an Oscar. Yeah. And that was 1945. So during 15, like almost 20 years at MGM, she was making these sort of films. Which is a bit of a shame because she's very talented and she's very hardworking. So uh, a, question, a question about, a question about this one then. I, you know, I did a bit of, I did a bit of background reading, which I don't really usually do, but I kind of felt like I needed to because I was curious you know it's just you know not the not the first Joan Crawford film we've done and you know I, I, I'm a bit intrigued about the background stuff but am I, I so I read that this was originally meant to be a Nora Shearer, ve- uh, Norma Shearer vehicle um, but then she got pregnant and then obviously Joan Crawford like lobbied for the role so in your opinion because I'm I'm, I'm hoping and, and assuming that you know uh, Nora, Norma Shearer's work as well what do you think this film would have been if that was a, this was a Norma Shearer vehicle hmm. um, instead of instead of a Joan Crawford film? Do you think it would have been a lot more I like think they would have money given pumped it, into it? Yeah, yeah. I think they would have given it to a be- better director to begin with. I think they would have, yeah, they would have pumped more money into it. Especially, I mean, 1930, Norma Shearer just won the Oscar, would win, I think she would win the Oscar for The Divorcee because I think Divorcee came out in 1930. Um, and the ceremony was in 1931, so it was she didn't she didn't know she was gonna win then. But I think because after she filmed the divorcee, I think that's when she 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 got pregnant. Um, so yeah, if you look at Norma Shearer's films, um, oh my god, I I, I need to actually um add a couple of Norma Shearer films for you, um, in our <laughs> podcast. So yes, thanks for the question, Nick. Um. Uh, the Divorcee, A Free Soul, um, Strangers Make His, um, Private Lives, they're all great films and I could not recommend them enough. Especially since now you've been introduced to Clark Gable, we can we can uh, take A Free Soul and talk about it. <laughs> and I can confirm I've seen no Nor- Norma Shearer films, so yeah. You've seen no Norma Shearer films? I have seen none whatsoever. Okay, so we need to we need to introduce her to you. Okay, fine. Yes. Cool. Um, so yeah, I think it would have been a bit more of a big budget. Uh, and I think you'll see the difference in, in even in writing, in film, in, in um, costumes. Um, it, everything is much more glamorous when, it, when it's Norma Shearer. She was married to Irvin Thalberg, who is the, the big producer at MGM. So she was the queen of the lot. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, Greta Garber was like the Swedish queen um, and I think she was I mean I have to I have to double check but I think she was quite popular because, by her accent through her absence because she was very like recluse from the beginning uh, but I think that's what people loved about her because they didn't know her and they wanted they wanted more 
um, and they never got it. <laughs> uh, but Norma Shearer, uh, she was also very, very popular and she was the queen of the lot at MGM. Um, but yeah, so um, just a few other notes about Paige, just to sort of finish off. Um, I just wanted to mention the shower scene, um, which is kind of in Paige, which is kind of makes this film a pre-code because it, by the, by the 1930s standards, it's a bit raunchy. You see the girls in the shower. You don't see anything, you see them like from knee up, from knee down and from like shoulder up. Um, there's a cameo um, of Louise Beavers um, and I think um, we'll talk about more about her when we discuss Imitation of Life at some point. I, I want to put it on, on our program at some point because um, it's very, it's a very poignant film. Uh, I think I've mentioned it in our podcast about Gone with the Wind. Um, I wanted to give a good shout out to um, sort of John Crawford's sidekick in this, Marie uh, Prevost. She, I think she's great. Um, I've always she, she had a she had a bit of sass about her. I, I did, she I was, kind of, I've uh, always thought of her as deeply underrated. She has the sassiness of a Jean Harlow. She's very like she no nonsense. She knows exactly what she's doing. I loved. I'm gonna quote this <laughs> one of my favorite um, quotes from the film. I wonder what the poor people are doing. She she reminds me of um Kathy Bates in Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> Just not taking any shit from anybody. No, no, I, I, no. Yeah, I did like I did like her. I did like her. Yeah. So yeah, the plot is is poorly written, but I think the essence the essence is is a bit is quite interesting. The the idea of the corrupt police screwing over the little guy trying to to make a living. Um like yeah the police are just like a tool for the for the rich hotshot um who doesn't really care if he's being just or not on on john Crawford's character and also the police are presented in a very bad light they're really like gullible yeah they are <laughs> uh and like really idiotic i mean you have them you have the the, the racketeers right in front of you they've uh, kidnapped the phone line workers and tie them up and you're like yeah they just you know and you're like just wake up <laughs> um I, I i kind of side I, I kind of agree with him with that it sides with with the small timers because it suggests that it's it's a super rich man's world and they might as well make try to make money by any means possible because they're not going to get a, a fair deal uh however they seem to have integrity um so when Joe ends up having to go to the gallows, you feel sorry for him, even though you don't really. I mean, it's it's kind of like not. I didn't know what I I needed to care for him that much, but you kind of do. And you feel sorry because the system has won, even though the girl gets the boy in the end, which is it's quite you a, a used trope now of the girl falling for the guy she wants to take revenge on, or she wants to use for her revenge. Um, but it's it's like well you know the the people with money still run things and perhaps the boy's father will continue to make their lives a misery even though they're married now and they kind of ride off in, in the sunset. Um, Do, but yeah, they don't really ride. They don't really ride off into the sunset. Like Joe gets taken away and then it ends. Yeah, uh, but yeah, she ends and... she but she she remains with her boyfriend, her uh, husband. Yeah. 
Just so I need to cl- clarify. So just Joe, right? He's being like wished away to 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 be locked up and stuff. Is he going to get the electric chair? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. well, that's so. All right. It, it, okay. It should have yeah. gone to. It should have gone down the road that we got with uh, Angels with Dirty Wings. Um, dirty faces. Dirty faces. <laughs> I've done it again. Um, angels, angels with dirty faces. I didn't even do that deliberately that time. Um, angels with dirty faces. Uh, it should have gone down that route with the whole, you know, actually showing the electric chair. Um, yeah, but, you know. yeah. But that that w- that got to be done much later by the Warner yeah. Brothers. So I yes. think what, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's always. I mean, I, I actually wrote my dissertation on on difference between Warner Brothers and and MGM, and I still I still kind of favor the Warner Brothers. MGM, I, mean, I will hate MGM forever because because of what they did to Buster Keaton, and we'll leave that conversation for some other time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is a conversation that we're going to be take. We definitely do have tabled um, for a later point. I'm not going to tell you when, but like there is there is a certain point in the future where we will be talking about Buster Keaton and MGM. Um, so yeah, like are we are we is that kind of it with paid? Yes, that is kind of it with paid. You've you've got no stories of scandal because usually when we talk about a film from pre-code era or nineteen twenties, you know, silent films, there's usually a scandal involved. I need to no, know if there's a scandal not, involved for this one. Not for this one, but um, just like I know we've mentioned Norma Shearer and John Crawford, but we've not mentioned the fact that John Crawford always had a bit of a problem with Norma Shearer because Norma Shearer was sleeping with a producer and I mean she was married to him and um, we always get the the best roles uh, and kind of John Crawford had a bit of a grudge on her for that Who uh, didn't Joan Crawford have a grudge with? Like who, who didn't she have a grudge with? <laughs> oh like, No she was actually is, Hey This isn't no, no, I mean, she, she had a grudge with Norma Shearer because she was taking all the best roles from MGM. And she didn't have a grudge with with Betty Davis as such. I think Betty Davis hated her because she stole Franchot Tone from her. Uh, don't quote me on it. It's, it's a rumor. Uh, but I think, yeah... Um, John Crawford married Frank Chotone knowing that she, um, Betty Davis was in love with him. So I think so, that kind of opened up a can of worms. And after Baby Jane, after the fact that um, John Crawford didn't get nominated for an Oscar for that role, I think that's when the proper hate started. On on that subject, actually, I, I did want to kind of link this in because I knew we were talking about Joan Crawford this week and actually popped up on the Be Kind Rewind YouTube channel. She put up a video of... Yes, um, she did. Joan, Joan Crawford accepting Anne Bancroft's Oscar. And it's a part one video. Um, uh, part, so, I can't um, wait for part will, two. <laughs> I said, I've, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll add that link into the show notes. Um, so, and then obviously subscribe to that channel. Um, oh, she's to, to, the best. To watch part two. So yeah, that was quite quite a coincidence, really. Quite a nice 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 side thing that that, that we've able to talk about Joan Crawford and um, be kind. Rewind. Uh, she's put up a video up on there about about what we spoke about a few weeks ago with yeah. what happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. Also, also, I think there's a video um, in her collection of Be Kind Rewind that she talks about the career um, of of John Crawford winning uh, Best Oscar for Wendell Pierce and how how she 
didn't get any anywhere with MGM. All the years she stayed at MGM, she started making like almost B pictures like this one with distrust. Um, it's not a bad film, paid, but it's quite forgettable. It's not groundbreaking, and it's it 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 doesn't help her either. Um, you see her talent, but you don't see her going the extra. You don't. There's not. It's not a, a role that would be too demanding for her. Yeah. Um, and I think she realized that she wouldn't get an Oscar if she stayed with MGM, which is why she left. Um, and moved to Warner Brothers. Okay. Yeah. So, is that all that's done with Paid? Yes, I think that's that's done. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm just gonna pause. I'm just gonna pause it right here because I need to pop to the toilet. I'll be right back in a second. Okay, I'm back. All right, I'll just lead into. I'll lead into old boy a second. Give me a sec. So that will bring us on to uh, the next film, uh, which is the first South Korean film uh, we're talking about on the podcast. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, because Tokyo, Tokyo Tribe was Tokyo Tribe was Japanese. So this is yeah, yes. this is the 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 first. South Korean film um, we're talking about on the podcast, uh, Park Chan-wook's Old Boy from 2003. Um, so I have a synopsis. Um, after being kidnapped and imprisoned for 15 years, Ode Su is released only to find that he must find his captor in five days. So we, we have the revenge of Paid and then we have the revenge of Old Boy. So Danny... Um, what did you think of Old Boy? Um, well, my first thought was, uh, don't you care? Don't you dare kill that dog? Uh, so needless <laughs> to say, needless to say, I was bit, I was a bit miffed when the dog died. Spoiler alert! I mean, it happens in the first like ten minutes of the film. Does um, it die? Like it, it, it falls. Like he falls with him, uh, and then we see the dog. I mean, I don't think fall. it survived. You don't see the dog afterwards, and I assume he died. No. I was quite. Well, rich. We, we don't um, really meant. We're not really meant to care about the dog or the person. I think really. How are you not meant yeah. to care about a dog? Are you a monster? I'm not You're... answering that question. I'm not answering that question on on air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my so, yeah, god! Like... You care about dogs. All dogs. Every dog. Anyway. Every dog. Um, moving even, on. Even, even Cujo. You, you <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Okay, Do okay. You... I, I'll give you Cujo, okay? Cujo, right, okay. Right, uh, I'm glad we've covered that. We've, we've covered Cujo. <laughs> well, he was a rabbit, rabbit dog, wasn't he? Uh, it doesn't matter. He's still a dog. 
He was still sick. A dog. He needed to be put down. It's okay. still a dog, right? Uh, sorry, uh, sorry. Yeah, old boy. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Going back to the movie, um, I loved it. Um, I really liked it. I love the music. It's the first thing that comes at you as the movie wow. starts. Um, and it's very compelling. Um, it's got a melancholic tone, note. Um, and then it starts really like it pulls you in. Um, and you you care for Odesu. I don't know. He's he, he feels like. A little man, he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he's he's like a man, he's like a a, a cog in the web of, of big corporations. I don't know what, what that other guy is doing, but you know, I, I really liked it. It's 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 very violent. Um but I I liked it. Um having Vivaldi play during a torture scene, stroke of genius, loved it. So, so, so that one again? Having Vivaldi play during a torture scene ah, is yes. a stroke of genius. I thought it was the, the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, I I know it's a revenge thriller, but there I found a few um philosophy elements in there. Um. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah. Um. I, I, it's all kind of related to the, this book that I've been reading, and also with. Uh, am I not pronouncing it right? What's the name of the, the, the brother? The, the, the psychopath. Oh, um, is the name of the character is Li Wujin. Wujin, yeah. Li Wujin, Li, Li Wujin yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get to him in a minute. Um, I, I, speaking of the violence, I loved the, I loved the one-shot fight scene in the hallway. It was so funny. And it was, it was violent, but it was really funny too. Yeah. Um, I love the pacing. Um, the humor was really dry. Um, found some slapstick elements that I really enjoyed throughout. Um, I could definitely see some Bastigeton references here and there. Just I thought I should say that. Should say that. Yeah. Um, the twisted brother, the the, the captor, Wu Jin. I think he's a very well-rounded psychopath. <laughs> and and I think this is what kind of made me think of, of a bit of philosophy. Um, it made me think of this book, um, Homo Deus, um, because in this book, um, the author Yuval Noah Harari talks a lot about the high tech of the super rich who may or may not in due time uh, get um, nanotechnology implanted into their bodies to make them super superhuman gods. So when when the guy has the remote control heart, it kind of made me think of that. Um, and with the super young appearance, um, I mean, since nineteen seventy nine, he's not aged. He's gone better. He's super tall. He's superhuman. He's got a super high tech apartment. It may, and he he controls people. Um, and not just uh, Odesu. You see other other uh, prisoners in this prison of his. Um, that's that's not Lee Wujin. That prison isn't Lee Wujin's prison. He just he just that's like a it's basically like a former business inside this world of Korea. Okay, um, like it just I it just it was so happened. Yeah. owning it. No, because there is a line that I said. I missed that. Um, there's a line that's said by what the the guy that gets his teeth removed, where he's on the phone before Odisu walks in and obviously pulls his teeth out, and he's on the phone and he says, "Oh, we don't provide." 
that service you'll have to go okay. somewhere else okay so like it's implying in this in this version of korea that we are seeing yeah. that it's implying that there are other places like this yes uh, yes yes this. but that's kind of yeah that's kind of the point because you you see all these like uh, a bit like um hostel you have the super rich making yeah. sport of 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 the the normal people's lives the, like regular joes and you you feel that you know pang of of what is going on and i think yeah it's a bit like google the guy knows all all this information because he's bugged him all day soon and he's he knows everything uh about him uh, maybe where he goes what he does a bit like google really um so spoiler alert when 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 all day soon sort of at the end when he begs him and he kind of goes into his, goes into like dog mood you kind of see the the super human super rich with versus the ordinary human dynamic and yeah. you see that Odysseus spirit has been broken he's been domesticated um he's been silenced and like a good pet he's docile almost and it's 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 quite heartbreaking to see that to see that again like with Paige, the rich man has won again um yeah um i yeah i really liked it. I, it the idea of like you know you don't really know how much power the super rich will have and how they will because it's it's the story of like a double revenge because the guy takes revenge on all day sue and then all day feels like he has to take revenge back but he doesn't manage it because he's doesn't have the capacity he doesn't have the control he doesn't have the all the information at his fingertips that the other guy does um so yeah um i some references to, to the truman show i think they talk about about the like the big prison versus the, the little prison he was in the little prison for 15 years but then he escaped into the bigger prison which is still a prison yeah. even though it looks like the real world and i think that's where the philosophy elements come in where you've got like what's real and what's not do I am I am I master of my own decisions or or am I just a pawn? Um, and I really like that. And if I would recommend reading um, Homo Deus because it it talks extensively about what is what is consciousness and what is like our ability to make decisions. What influences that, and are we really masters of our own domain or are we just pawns? Um, especially with all the social media and all the like tech. And all the data that flows into the internet that will basically controls us. Um, there are some reference, like yeah, like I said, to the Truman Show um, and American Psycho. I mean, uh, notably the scene when the the super guy takes uh, puts his um, suit on in his super high tech apartment, um, like very carefully everything is up to scratch and he looks gorgeous and he does yoga and he got all this um at his fingertips um but yeah i really liked it the the direction is incredible cinematography is incredible i love the pacing the editing was great um there was yeah there was some stomach stomach churning moments um that made me cringe and i think you know which ones I, um, I know exactly like the big, which ones. The big reveal uh, was yeah, a bit hard to take, but it kind of it kind of again made in a twisted design of this revenge, it kind of made sense. 
um, it it was heartbreaking from start to finish. Um, but it was it was a great film, and I I think I've wanted to see this one for a long time. I mean, I've 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 known about it for a while, and it's always a bit like in the mood for love, always shows up in like top of the piles of best films of all time. Um, and it is, and it, you can see why it's it's done exquisitely. Um, and yeah, I really liked it. That's um, honestly that's made me really happy because like I what? the one the one I know because like I I don't know like I think I just after Tokyo Tribe maybe it was just because Tokyo Tribe ended so badly I was I've been coming a bit more worried more more worried about showing you like <laughs> weird films from East Asia to Tokyo Tribe uh, no 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 I no I just mean it I just mean because like Sion Sona was a very very unique voice and so is Park Chan Wook and both of whom kind of dabble in extreme violence and i remember one of the complaints about tokyo tribe was that kind of extreme violence yeah but it was just it was sake. done i found it quite distastefully done this was done it it pulls at your heartstrings and it makes you wonder and it yeah. just I, I i don't know the way it was executed i felt more connected to it and it made me i mean it made me feel very sorry for odesu i mean that scene yeah. at the beginning when he's drunk in the, in the police station wow that was uh, it was so like relatable. I mean, you've all you've always at least seen someone be that drunk, or at least yeah. you've been the person. Maybe not not in the police station, but you might have been drunk. Maybe maybe a bit rowdy, and you don't want to remember it. And it's cringe, but you kind of relate to it because it's very human. Whereas the, on, the, on on but he's drunk. He's drunk, and he's in a police station on his daughter's birthday. Yes, like yes. I think like we are. We get that impression from him straight away that he is an awful he's been a not a great dad yeah like he's a bit of a waste of space like you know he's a bit of a waste of space he's kind of been like pulled in and sucked out by the system and yeah exactly you know there's no there's no out out, there's no like good outlook for him i mean we see we see that we see these themes in not just in here and and in other park chan wook films also in um his his compatriot uh bon jun ho especially in um the oscar winner from last last year parasite which yes. kind of which kind of revolves around the same thing about people kind of not being treated by the system and i th- yeah i think it's really interesting that two films 16 years apart set in the same country have the same themes and i yeah I yeah I honestly I'm so I'm so happy that it's, honestly it made me happy that you said you liked this and um and that you enjoyed it um it is it honestly does actually legitimately make me happy because this is <laughs> this is one of my favorite films um it's one of the first films I remember watching when I was about seventeen eighteen going into a, a dvd shop one of my mate right my mates was a manager of a dvd shop and like I I used to go in there all the time and and you know he, he pulled up you know it's like oh i'm trying to think well, what film to buy and he was just like he was like he pulled out old boy on the on the tartan asia extreme label and he was like you, you need to watch this film and i remember taking it home and watching it and completely being completely blown away because i'd never seen anything like it um and the more and more i watch it like i've seen this film uh, numerous times most recently last year um a re-release because it was released on uh, 4k blu-ray by arrow video uh, last year 
uh, or early this year, or some point, I think, I think it was last year, uh, time has kind of warped a little bit. Um, but being sat in the cinema with people that had never seen this film before, I was sat next to a woman who had never seen the film before, and sat next to her reactions whilst watching certain sequences were almost more enjoyable than watching the film itself. Um, and like I said, the more and more time goes on, the more and more I watch it, the more and more I, I'm convinced that it is a legitimate masterpiece. Um, it is. I, I'm, I agree. It's, it's great. It is a very good film. And um, uh, the main character, the, main, the, 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 uh, the performances were incredible from start to finish. Um, yes. The the main the main guy I'm not sure I don't I'm, I don't want to put Min Sik. That's the man. He's yeah. brilliant. That face you just it's so much pain in that face. And it's amazing you see the transformation in his yes. face from the beginning yes, at absolutely. the start to when the man fifteen years later is almost unrecognizable. Yes. Um, yeah, you and see him. His, like, yeah, like, it's incredible. His physical performance as well. Like you see, he's got a lot of weight on him at the start of the film, and it just it's just it, over fifteen years. Like he is a leaner man, and it's such a yeah, it's such a committed performance. It really is. Yeah. Um, it should have been recognised by by the Academy, you know. But we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna get into that conversation. That's well, yeah. he was he was he was recognised by. Um, like some like specialist awards um but not by anybody massive i mean so like yeah the film the film itself did win the grand prix award at Cannes in 2004 which is like Cannes' second place as it were i can't mm -hmm. even remember what won the, the pound all that year but um so yeah like uh, I is that is that all you is that yeah that's it is, that's is that... that's all my notes for this film yeah I really enjoyed it I'm probably not gonna watch it again soon but it it was very very well made um and written and acted and executed it was brilliant yeah so Park Park Chan Wook is one of the first directors I ever recognised as an auteur um the the term that I despise with a passion but when i was learning film studies um in my early 20s and the term auteur came up his name was the first one that came to my mind um his this film is in fact a sec the second in a loose trilogy of films called the vengeance trilogy um starting off with uh, sympathy for mr vengeance um which is a it's incredibly bleak film um yeah really really bleak film then Old Boy in 2003, and then he followed it in 2005, I think, with um, Lady Vengeance, um, which actually does star uh, Choi Min-sik as uh, a child murderer. Um, the so Park Chan-wook has this kind of distinctive style, um, which I think is very much linked to his work with cinematographer Chung Chung Hoon. Um, who actually started working with him from this film forward all the way through to 2016's The Handmaiden. Um, I don't know if you saw The Handmaiden. I did, yes. Um, and I'm, I, I don't know, like, can you recognise, like, visual visual traits, like, visual, like, similarities between the two films? I yeah, I think, I think more within the, the sort of, the, co the colour palette. Yeah. Um, a lot of reds and browns and um warm colors 
yeah so his his style um like his camera moves um kind of move with a smoothness and a fluidity that i think very few western directors can even come close to copying and i think his sign of cinematography in particular is is very it, it's very like painted and exact and yes um like even the violence and the gore are almost shot with like a cleanness and a beauty um the use of the white at the end um it kind of alludes to the the sequel the spiritual sequences from lady vengeance where that but that film has a version where it fades to white gradually during the film mm-hmm. and then fades to direct white um almost like a snowstorm um so this this film i think it has a style that i think that they perfected and refined um in the their kind of hitchcockian semi-remake of a shadow of a doubt um stoker which came out in 2013 which is park chanwick's first english language film and one of the few if only (laughs) properly successful english language films to come out of the wave of south korean directors that came over to work in hollywood um so that film came out in 2013 starred matthew good Nicole I've Kidman seen that. and Mia Wasikowska. Yeah, so that that film I, I love think that is film. utterly that really ut- utterly gorgeous to look at and I think that's in no doubt to Park Chan-wook and Chung Chung-hoon. Um fun fact about that film, um which I I love saying it to people because it weirds them out. The script for Stoker was written by a guy called Wentworth Miller. Um whose I know name of him. Yeah, Is he the guy from Prison Break? He is. He is the main lead in the TV series Prison Break. Um, which is, I think, is just a really cool fact. <laughs> like, I think he, I remember his... when I saw that. I think I remember. I recognize his uh, name over the credits, and I yeah, think I submitted... checked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He submitted the the script under an alias because, like, he feared that his name would mean that it wasn't going to be taken seriously, uh, which uh... I think is really interesting. So yeah, um, like I said, I think they kind of perfected this style um, in Stoker. You were, you were going to say something about the music. Yeah, um, I was I was gonna get there, but I can do that now. Um, so yeah, the music uh, is um, composed by uh, Shim Hyung Jong, uh, Lee Ji Soo, and Choi Seung Hyun. Um, and the music cues, in fact, are titled after different names of films. Most of them film noirs. So the main theme that we hear, Ode Su's theme, is called "In a Lonely Place." Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. So we've got "Look Who's Talking," "Summer of the Night," "The Count of Monte Cristo," "Jailhouse Rock," "It's Alive," "The Searchers," "Look Back in Anger," "Room at the Top," uh, "For Whom the Bell Tolls," "Breathless," "Dressed to Kill," "Kiss Me Deadly," "Point Blank," "The Big Sleep," and "The Last Waltz," among other many other film um, titles. Um, so I, I think it's really interesting. I think uh, I thought it was really cool that you know the theme song that we kind of hear played over OJ Sue, the the really recognisable one is it's called In the Lonely Place, um, which I think is really quite quite weird. Seeing as we yeah. talked about that a couple of yeah. weeks ago, um, I actually did not it know that. Ties in, I, I did it? the research. It does. Um, yeah. So the kind of pivoting a little bit the editing of old boy i mean it is it's really exact and precise i think i've used that word twice now it's kind of like the best way for me to kind of describe park chan wook's 
work is that there is a deliberateness to it um and the editing in in in, in particular it kind of leaves just enough for the imagination when it needs to um there is a line um by the guy that owns the um like the, the prison and he says um the mind it's like something to do with like the mind uh filling in for suggestion and sometimes it, you, you you kind of crawl away from that and i think that's what the film does um and the editing you know it adds to the fluidity of the film and the, of, of the movement of the camera um the the lead performance from Choi min Sik as Odisu is you know we've spoken you've spoken about it it is utterly brilliant it is totally committed and it there so the the revenge plot of the film kind of means that he could just be like a cold determined revenge machine almost a bit like john wick but there are so many tragic layers to odesu um we feel his pain and his anguish and 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 then his fall and i think another i mean he's he's this isn't he's an utterly brilliant actor another really compelling performance from him is in um kim ji woong's uh serial killer thriller called i saw the devil which came out in 2010 which um is a film i would love to get on the podcast um yeah uh kind of on the same kind of thing about what the film could be is that lee Woo jin played by uh yuji tae um he he could could have quite easily just been a cold remorseless villain with like no dimensions you know it could have been just you know nothing there to him but like toy min seek you know there are dimensions to him that i really just didn't expect it to see um and that the final reveals in the penthouse you know, we 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 end up totally understanding where he's coming from, and yeah. like almost feel sympathy. I don't know if you did uh, in in your first viewing, but for me, the more times I watch it, the more sympathy I feel for Lee Woo Jin, and I think that is in total debt to the performance from from Yu Ji Tae. Um, you know, his love for his sister, you know, whether questionable or not, you know, like. <laughs> He, he you can tell he's felt absolute loss and he loves his sister so so much and he commits to the to the thing where he says if you find out i'll kill myself and he, he goes and does that yeah um, yeah um, um yeah i don't know if i felt as much compassion for him um but it definitely it added another layer to the monster so so to speak yeah, um, I, 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 I mean, like, I think over more and more viewings, I kind of become, I end up feeling more. You more don't, sympathy. you don't, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't dismiss him as being just a psychopath. Yeah. You, you kind of understand him a little bit. Especially, especially in the scene where um, the Odesu's friend, I can't remember his name, is in the in the. Um, what do you call it? Like PC oh, bar, the, internet cafe. Yeah, the, uh, oh, like yes, he starts he talking snaps, about the sister. And he, he starts talking. Yeah, and then um, slices you, slices yeah, his can, throat open with a broken CD. You can um, see, yeah, you can see that he cares about his sister, and yeah, he just it's, that's her like Achilles heel. Yeah. Um. The. <coughs> sorry, the iconic fight scene. Um, is kind of like this side on nes fighting game almost um shot in profile was was uh, it's done in one take um it's a four minute tracking shot and it was done it was it took 18 takes for it to do for them to do that 
and you can totally feel the exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> and of each, yeah. each each and each of the hits, you 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 feel them. And as it goes on, you become exhausted just from watching it. Um, and because we have that sequence so masterfully done, when it when it shows the the men in the elevator and Oji Sue smiles. Oh, that it, was brilliant! It, I love that. Yeah, it it warrants it warrants the reason why we don't see what happens in the elevator because we've just been through that. Yeah, we don't need to see what happens in the elevator. You you can just yeah just fill in the blanks. Yeah, um, we understand just, that. I just loved it how funny it was. I get he's been stabbed in the back. He's got a knife in the back, and he's just going at it, killing fools. <laughs> yeah, he he yeah he fights he fights like a man possessed. Yes. Um. Yes. That 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 knife is one of the few CGI shots in the film. In fact, um, the others being the ants. Uh, for oh, obvious yes. reasons. What yes. wasn't CGI? was the octopus oh dear um oh i remember i read about it uh because the the actor is a buddhist and he had to pray every time he ate it and he ate yeah. five of them or something he he ate four so four. it was done four times so yeah so he yeah like you said he, he twin min is a buddhist and he you know he said a prayer for each one um it is that serving is a delicacy in east asia um although you know it's usually killed and cut not eaten whole and alive um yeah. yeah so usually the nerve activity in the octopus tentacles means that the pieces you know still kind of squirm posthumously on the plate when served oh. um when asked when asked in the dvd commentary if he felt sorry for Choi, director park chanbook stated that he felt more sorry for the octopus <laughs> um so yeah like that 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 scene like that scene got a good like that scene got a good uh reaction in the cinema from people and I showed it to a friend earlier today, in fact, and and she uh, she did not like <laughs> looking at that. I don't know if you if you squirmed away and looked away from the screen. I, I, I don't didn't know look away from was. the screen, but it was. I didn't look away, but it was a bit. Yeah, I was like, okay. I was just thinking when I was watching that scene. Um, I was thinking that I might have read somewhere that it's quite dangerous to actually eat live octopus because it might. Oh, yeah. just, It might just like get stuck in your throat and just choke you to death especially since it's yeah. alive yeah yeah people there yeah yeah is, so when when he just... passed out i thought he died because he, he yeah mm. uh but it was i thought it, it would have been too easy so like yeah movie over <laughs> what was what was your reaction like so it, i just want to go through each of the twists so the first twist <sighs> being that lee wuxing um slept with his sister well I didn't sleep with his sister but there was kind of like a weird kind of thing with his sister and his Odesu's the quote is your tongue got my sister pregnant the the, 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 the the you know the meaning being that your rumor you know stopped my sister from having her period she put on weight which therefore fueled more rumors that she was pregnant and so on and such forth what did you think of that twist there the reveal is it it's not really a twist but the reveal behind the imprisonment uh, um... what did you think yeah, it was a bit weird. Um, I just, I didn't think it was going to be that detailed. Um, I kind of, I kind of thought that it was, it was going to be something that that Odysseus had done that was perhaps terrible. But I didn't realize I, when I, when I, when 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 the flashback started, 
I was kind of thinking that he might have caused her to, to kill herself because he made her fall in love with him. I didn't realise it was going to be as graphic as, as the incest storyline. Uh, so, yeah, it was a bit... Mm. Uh, and then, yeah. Um... And then the second, the, the, the actual twist, I suppose, um, the actual kind of twist, the second reveal almost of who Mizo is. That was not who, okay. That was not okay. Was um, not... Who ended up being Odesu's daughter. So um, I started um, when 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 the uh, family photo album started. I was like, no, that's not possible because she's in Sweden. She's in Sweden. She's, oh, she's not in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, the reaction she's, the reaction yeah. to that in the cinema got a very audible gasp yeah, from quite like a few the... people who hadn't seen the film before. Yeah, um, yeah, because he, he goes on like pages after page after page and he sees her growing up and you're like no 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 oh so you you didn't see that coming no um uh, how could i have seen it coming i mean I don't you, know, get, like, you, you get sidetracked because you, you go yeah you find that you know he's uh, he looks up for his kid his kid's being given to adoption to a family of doctors or whatever professors in in sweden and you think oh that's that then um so they kind of tricked you into not thinking much about that storyline. Um, and you don't know how uh, old Miso, Miso? Mito. Mito is. Um, so you kind of, you, you know, it's just... Yeah, I did not see it coming because I didn't think, oh, yay, more incest. Yeah. Um... Yeah, um, I mean, who would have seen, who would have, thought it it was gonna be as as graphic and as <laughs> as tangled up as this yeah and then and then and then you know like i think it has that amazing shot of her sat on the bed with the wings on yeah that was quite in that in in that shot you know she is she is no longer odesu's love interest she is lodesu's daughter and like it's incredible like the same the same actress and the same character in the same space that we've seen her yeah. in and two completely different shots your mind completely shifts and you see you, you 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 see a little girl then you don't see a woman who's you know a woman who's in love you see the daughter it's really really masterfully it's so well done um and then and then you have the then you have the uh the cutting of the tongue um how how i mean i'm assuming did you you got through the teeth bit okay yeah with yeah. the removal of the teeth with the hammer how did you cope with the tongue being removed um what do you mean i watched it <laughs> okay i, I, I just I, I, I mean i i i it was it was not pleasant to watch it um but i did watch it uh like i said it was it was part, for me it was part of the for lack of a better word, the ritual of him being domesticated and being silenced into a, 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 a docile, lesser being now. He's a monster. He's joined the ranks of, of, of the other psychopath, more or less, because he's committed this crime. At the same time, it, it, it made me think of another sort of story because it was quite like the Greek mythology where the gods um punish mortals 
for sleeping with you know they they trick them into into falling in love with their siblings or their offspring and and then the big reveal and they still have to even though they've been tricked they still have to pay a penance they still have to purify themselves somewhat somewhat so there's so, that yeah it's really interesting that you say that because um it was one of actually one of the things i wanted to kind of touch on was park chan has kind of he has come out in in the past and said that odesu's name is in fact to remind the viewer of oedipus yes the name of oedipus of course it makes sense and um the shots of yoji tei um you know as Lu Li Wuxin, you know he he kind of he has these yoga poses which are quite extraordinary and Park Chan-wook has said that he kind of designed these poses to convey the image of Apollo and it's in fact you know if if anybody knows their Greek mythology it's that Apollo is the prophecy that kind of reveals Oedipus's fate yes um so there is there is a, a really really good piece um, i'm going to link to in the show notes from a guy called keith say um about the link between greek tragedy in old boy um it's a really fantastic piece i'm, I'm going to link to it in the show notes and it goes into some detail about the the you know the greek tragedy links in in old boy he does it with other east asian films but in in old boy i think is his probably his, maybe i think in my opinion it all goes down it all goes back to the greek tragedies doesn't it god damn god damn greeks <laughs> um so they have a lot to they have a lot to answer for they do have a lot to answer for god damn it um <laughs> and we got we got brad pitt's torso and we got this i mean it's just one thing after another <laughs> yes let's keep talking about brad pitt's torso a little bit we haven't discussed it <laughs> we haven't seen um, it enough of it so I kind of just want to finish on um, the ending of Old Boy. Um, I would like to know what you think happens at the end. I knew you were going to ask me that. I mean, my, my, my um, optimistic mind thinks that he might have remembered that she's indeed his, his daughter and that's why he's smiling. Um, so what he's he's what he's remembered he, he he is he is still the monster or do you think that he what do you mean like do you think i that think he's, he might have had oh, selective memory somewhat i don't know maybe he's just there's some sort of instinct that's remnant in there and he there's it's somehow the monster's left with the desire and he's left him with just the paternal sentiments okay because it I just get- it just, I mean, he, he, of course, he doesn't remember what happened, but he, he might not remember the facts, but he might remember the feelings. Yeah. I mean, like, we, we don't know how much time has passed. Um, yes. Since the, the, you know, the, the. the well, he look, he looks and... a bit older, but not much older. Yeah. Um, we don't even know. We, we're unsure if the actual meeting with hypnotist kind of took place, whether it actually did took place. Because if you notice, the seats are in slightly different positions, and there was no footprints for a second person. Yeah. Um, and we also we don't know if he successfully lost the knowledge of Mido's identity. Yeah. Um, and you know whether you know he'll actually continue his relationship with Mido. Um, it's a really deliberately ambiguous ending. Mm. I love um, ambiguous endings because he it, it, it keeps you talking and, and sort of second guessing. 
At the same time, if you remember when in, in the penthouse, when Wu Jin tells him that you forgot because you wanted to forget, I didn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, and it makes you think that he might choose to forget bits of it, but not all of it. I mean, I I think that he... So the film kind of starts off with a quote and the hypnotist, whether she's there or not, repeats the quote. Um, Even though I'm worse than a beast, don't I deserve to live? And that for me is kind of, I think, where... When I when the when my first viewing was very optimistic, it was like, oh, he's forgotten who Mido is, you know, and they can, they can kind of live on without knowing that knowledge and without her knowing that knowledge. Like I said, the more and more I watched this and the more and more sympathy I gave for Li Wujin, the more and more my opinion of what happens to Odesu at the end changes in that I feel that he is the beast. He is no longer Odesu. Um, I think, Ooh, you know, that that's is... Bla- that's I dark. Think, I think, yeah, like I said, I think the more viewings I have of this, the more I come to the conclusion that he is the beast. And I think also think that it is Li Rujing's final piece. Yeah. I think it's his final piece. I think this is the final. We, we're not really sure. I, 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 this is just total, this is total like conjecture and fan theory, but like I feel that this is. Li Ruzhing's final moment of sticking the knife in, um, hmm. of the you know you, you I will allow you not to have Mido get the knowledge like she won't ever know, but you will forever know and unable to forget. I think that is the final. Why is he smiling then? Because I think he realizes what has happened. I think that is him. him realizing that he is the beast and he is he he is deserving you know like that quote is even though i'm worse than a beast because he is worse than a beast don't i deserve to live so he is he's allowed to live but he has to be the beast. he has to be the person that's the beast in my this is this like i said this is purely my view and it's purely a view that's kind of developed over the years from re-watching the film and like i said i think it's it is a dark it is a dark way of thinking about the film, but I think it is also totally in keeping with what Li Wujing's intentions are. Because okay. I think he saves he saves Mido from the knowledge because at the end of the day Li Wujing doesn't want to hurt Mido in that way. I think he wants to punish Ode Su. He you know, he raised Mido for crying out loud. Yeah. And I think giving Mido the knowledge that her, who her father is would hurt her and i don't think he wants that because at the end of the day you know he loved his sister and i don't think he would want that to happen to the daughter i think he's his purely his intentions are odesu needs to be punished and this is the final punishment okay um like i said that that's like i said purely fan theory but uh, that's kind of the darkest darkest view that i can think of and, and do how you that's agree developed over time do you agree it's a bit of a quite a big huge punishment for a rumor um i think for li ruzing it's totally just justified i'm not saying it is a justified response i mean this is probably the nature of revenge that you know what would you do if you were locked away for three to five years would you you know 
would you know how would you do about your revenge and would you you know marry the guy you know the son and do all that or would you if you were locked away for 15 years and told you got five days to find out the reason why you're locked away i think odesu i think odesu's response to being locked away is perfectly justified i was referring to i I was referring to bujin yeah, I think because his, I think because he's been locked away for fifteen years, I think Li Wuxing's reaction and revenge plot against him is also justified for Li Wuxing, and I do. Yeah, I I don't know. I like I said, I think I think you perfectly do get the allegory of you know the super rich and and the poor kind of spitting out the the you know domesticated poor and not caring about them ever again i you know i think that's a really good analogy so yeah i i i think for for the purposes of li wujing i think it's perfectly justified if you'd ask me as a human being <laughs> if you ask if you'd ask me nicholas chandler age 30 what i what i would do i wouldn't do that <laughs> no not in a million years because i'm not that psychopathic and i'm not that intelligent or rich um <laughs> You know, okay. if if I was that if I was that rich, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Um, would you? Would you? What would you do? No, I would not. You know, plot a elaborate revenge on someone. I mean, if someone were to kill my brother, I would, you know, probably take revenge on them, but not as as elaborate and permanent as as what Jin, Lee Wujin has done. That was that was torture for a lot of years. Yeah. Like and in like you know, any if if your theory is correct, he will still pay. He is still paying. Um, he's yeah, he remains a monster, and he's still paying, and he's not forgotten. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, but, I, I, honest, I, I, I don't know. I just yeah, I just kind of get that feeling, you know, like I, I yeah, that it kind of ends on that note okay um so yeah uh i don't know if you had any more on old boy if you had any more notes um, no i think that's it for me um i think i'm pretty much done as well i mean the the the, the, the part chan work um i i kind of would would not be doing myself justice if i didn't say all this but part chan work was one of like the south korean new wave directors that kind of arose rose up after the um fall of the dictatorship in south korea um and there was like a new democracy in south korea at that time which allowed art and film to kind of be made with a lot more freedom and part time work was kind of a part of this with uh bong jung ho Mm -hmm. and um kim ji Won as well uh kim ji Won, i mentioned being the director of i saw the devil he was also the director of a film called the tale of two sisters which is a really, really gruesome uh, ghost story. Um, and Park Chan Wook uh, recently did uh, an ad- adaptation, a BBC adaptation of a John Le Carre novel called The Little Drummer Girl, starring the great uh, Florence Pugh, um, as she as she once will be and forever be known, the great Florence Pugh. We are a and Florence Pugh even... standing podcast. Um, and you haven't even seen uh, um, Lady Macbeth. 
No, I'm getting that. I'm getting that. I'm spacing out my Florence Punis. Yeah, bear, bear with me. Um, <laughs> and um, okay. yeah, so uh, Park Chan Wook has kind of got another film coming up soon. Um, we don't know anything about it, and I cannot wait. Uh, Had Maiden was was fantastic, and I think that should have been the first South Korean film to win an Oscar because it was not. I think it was nominated for. No, it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. It was best. It won Best Foreign Picture, if I remember, um, at the Oscars. Um, I think maybe. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll get more Park Ch- Park, Chan- uh, Park Chan Wook films on the podcast and um, other South Korean films on the podcast as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of kind of that done. Oh. So next week. So, what have we got for next week? Um, we, our topic is Orientalism. Oh, um, right. I've al- alluded to this theme over the last few weeks. I think Red Dust was the first week where I kind of alluded to we're going to be talking about this. Yes. Um, so, we actually do. Um, we'll be talking about uh, The Bitter Tea of General Young by Frank Capra, starring Barbara Stanwyck. Oh, my from God. 19- I can't from wait to talk And we will be having this with uh, Big Trouble in Little China uh, <laughs> from John Carpenter from 1986 starring Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall. Um, oh, I can't wait to see that. Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favourite films. Um, is legitimately one of my favourite films. Um, it's a it's a, such a good it's such a good movie i'm looking forward to a bit of tia jung yang like frank capra i think i've only seen yeah wonderful life is the only one i've seen um and even then i only saw that recently uh <gasps> i know i know um i know right <laughs> so yeah we'll be talking about orientalism uh we like i said we alluded to it in red dust and i think that's a discussion that we're going to have um in this in this next episode uh, the difference between the treatment of Asian actors and Asian stereotypes in uh, 1930s Hollywood compared to um, what John Carpenter does in 1986. It's going to be a very interesting discussion. Oh yeah, it's going to be great. I, 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 will, I will predict that the majority of my review of Big Trouble Little China will be repeating quotes. Um, That's fine. Yeah, I, I thought I'd let you know. Um, I think when I do end up rewatching Big Trouble in Little China, I will just message you quotes as I'm watching it. Um, <laughs> lucky me. Lucky you. Aren't you glad to be to be doing? I might this? block you actually. <laughs> Report and block. Um, yeah. So uh, that's all that's done. Um, so Danny, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kino Joan and my website is kinojoan.co.uk. And you can find me on the internet. Uh, my Twitter account is at Nikes Chandler and my website is superatomovision.com. Also, still got my YouTube channel, Superatomovision. Sort of trying to work on stuff, but it's not really going <laughs> as things are going at the moment. Um, kind of trying to work on a series of flip pieces on Tom Cruise um, for some reason yeah I know right um, okay. <laughs> I can hear okay. you laughing in the background okay yeah. no I'm not I'm not saying 
Um, and of course, we've got our Twitter account at Keenotomic. Um, follow us on there. And our email address is keenotomic at gmail.com. Drop us an email. Let us know if you can. What would you do in the scenario of revenge? If you were locked away for 15 years, what would you do? Or what would you do if your sister or sibling was killed? Like, I'd be really curious if you were to go down the whole psychopathic route of Lee Wujin. Like, you know, how many of our listeners would do that? Um, if you do, let us know where you live, your name, address, and what have you, and we'll pass that information on to the police. Um, <laughs> yeah, because that's um, so what that, psychopaths do. That is definitely what psychopaths do. Um, as well as listening to Huey Lewis and chopping up Jared Leto. Um, so yeah, we, that is that is us, that's me done for today, this week. That's, so it's a goodbye from me. Thanks for listening. <laughs>